Boston Grove. A special hello goes out to the director of media for the Boston Grove alumni, Mr. Mark Boland. Nice to see you, Marky. Welcome to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the voice of hockey legends. This show is created to give a voice to former pro players and personalities, allowing them to share some of the greatest stories this game has to tell. So let's take a trip to the heart of the classic hockey universe and celebrate the history of the game with the select few who actually lived it. Welcome to episode 66 of the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast. As we learned in our recent interview with Steve Baker, an exciting three-on-three professional hockey league is set to debut in North America in 2021. Dubbed Three Ice, the league was founded by today's guest, E.J. Johnston, the son of former NHL goaltender Eddie Johnston, and Craig Patrick, the former GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, E.J. Johnston serves as CEO of Three Ice, and Craig Patrick is its commissioner. Inspired by the NHL's exciting 3v3 overtime format, the upstart league will emphasize a fast-paced style of play and fewer rules than traditional pro hockey. Each game will consist of two eight-minute periods with no stoppages. Three Ice, of course, will attempt to lure all hockey fans, especially younger viewers, with a streamlined game format. So let's learn more about Three Ice and what it was like growing up as a son of a big bad Bruin. Here's my interview with E.J. Johnston. Well, in the summer of 1974, the St. Louis Blues acquired uh, a pair of players through various trades. Number one was 38-year-old goaltender Eddie Johnston, who had a great history at the Boston Bruins and Toronto Maple Leafs up to that point. And from the California Seals, they picked up 28-year-old Ford Craig Patrick. And somehow, through the calmer of life in hockey, we end up here today as that relationship was, I think, probably started there in St. Louis. And long and short of it, we end up now, as we've talked about uh, prior to the interview, talking about Three Ice, its founder, E.J. Johnston, son of Eddie Johnson, and he's teamed with uh, a great management team he's put together, which includes Craig Patrick. So that's a very long-winded of saying, E.J., thanks so much for being with us on the show. Mark, it's nice to be speaking with you. As we noted, uh, the uh, relationship between uh, your father and so many great individuals, and we're going to get to three ice in a second, but what I'd like to, as a young man, I grew up in the Boston area, so just for the fans, and the fans will listen and kind of know my history, but grew up in the Boston area right in the heart of Bobby Orr and the Big Bad Bruins, and Eddie Johnston was one of those guys that everybody loved, Johnston and Cheevers, two Stanley Cups, um, so what was, you're a little bit too young to remember those days, but over the course of your, your dad's career, he developed a lot of strong friendships and the two that kind of stick out, I guess to most people, at least to me was with number four, Bobby Orr and number 66, Mario Lemieux, two of, if not the two greatest players to ever play the sport. And as a young man growing up in that type of environment, being around people with that uh, high level of success, um, how did that impact you? And uh, what was that experience like? Yeah, you know, it's it was a really great way to grow up. And uh, I definitely missed the window of the Big Bad Bruins. But, you know, being young enough, 
catching the conversations when I would be around my father and meeting guys that were big fans, you know, they were either cheesy guys or Eddie guys or EJ guys, as I think they used to say. <laughs> and it was sort of two camps. And uh, I think the fans thought they might've been rivals, but they were definitely friends. And back then, you know, they were platooning a lot of the time and it worked right there. I think the last tandem to ever win a uh, Stanley cup together. Yeah. Right. So it was a really nice sort of vibe that I kind of, in my memory, it's sort of, bits and pieces of it I can collect. But, uh, you know, Uncle Bobby, as I call him, uh, he's my <laughs> godfather. And, um, right. you know, they uh, they were special friends. They still are to this day. They talk all the time. Um, you know, growing up with uh, Darren and Brent, uh, Uncle Bobby's kids, uh, was a special thing. We would uh, spend our summer times up on uh, the Lake St. Lawrence River in Lake Champlain, fishing and boating and just sort of being outside. Uh, it was a nice way to grow up. So dad was dad and Uncle Bobby was Uncle Bobby. And until I was about eight, nine years old, and you start to sort of get that awareness mm-hmm. of, wow, these guys are a little bit more special than just my dad um, or just my uncle or my godfather. Uh, and it was nice. And you, you sort of see the, the reverence that people had around them and how excited they'd get to be around them. And these were important people, regular you know, Joes that were just big fans. Everybody had a, re- a reaction to these guys that you just don't normally see. So I picked up on that right around eight or nine years old. And uh, it was nice to sort of grow up that way. Yeah, I can imagine being on the other side. It's interesting here your your perspective. If I, I grew up in the in the Worcester area, and if a Bruin of that era came to our town for an appearance or something, it was just they were just larger than life. And um, so again, being in that environment on a daily basis was uh, was I'm sure as you noted very impactful for you. Going to Mario Lemieux. Later in your life, now you're, you're older, you're in Pennsylvania. Uh, obviously, Eddie uh, Johnson and uh, drafted Mario Lemieux and ended up coaching him, being the GM, et cetera, et cetera. If you had a chance to, to talk to Mario at all, or to talk a little bit about that relationship between those two. Yeah, uh, it's another special bond. You know, like Bobby, with uh, the influence he had across the New England area, building all those rinks up there that really helped hockey explode. Mario did the same thing. You know, Mario came along and basically had the same kind of phenomenon that he sort of um, impacted the entire region. And so hockey is now a big sport in Western PA. We've got guys coming out of it. But, um, yeah, it was nice to get to know Mario. Um, You know, we played some golf together. He's been over to the house. I've been to his home. Uh, He's one of the people that I've chatted with this project about. You know, I've been working on for a couple of years and wanted to sort of sit down with people who were – experts in all facets of hockey and certainly Mario's opinion was, was a nice one to get early on a few years back, but um, just a nice man, class act. He's been wonderful to my father. He's in my opinion, and this is sort of crazy. I catch a lot of grief from my hockey buddies. The greatest players in the world are probably Bobby Orr, Mario Lemieux, and then Wayne Gretzky and people raise their eyebrow like, wow, you've got Gretzky at three. And I say, I do. Uh, I think Bobby was the greatest all around player. Mario was the greatest all-around offensive player. And by the way, never gets enough credit for his skills as a penalty killer. I think he had 11 or 12 shorthanded goals one year. He was just devastating Mm -hmm. on the penalty kill. So those guys had an interesting impact uh, in their communities. And then just being around them, being around winners uh, all the time. Once I was old enough to realize who and what they were, uh, but all the guys in the league, you know, as we've talked about, anyone who makes the NHL is the best of the best. And they're winners. They work hard. They've overcome obstacles. They beat the odds. And so to be growing up around winners like Mario, Bobby, and the rest of the NHLers 
it was a special, special way to be, uh, be brought up. And it's, it's a nice um, community to be part of as well. Hockey's a special kind of uh, environment. No question. And for the record, I also concur with your overall hockey all-time oh, okay. ratings. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I've said that almost that, that exact same uh, line. And I, I, in Hartford, I worked in the office. Uh, actually, again, just as it noted, I worked in Hartford while your dad was there as a GM and I worked in Pittsburgh. He was there as a coach. But while we were both in Hartford, of course, Gordy Howe was working there. So sure. uh, again, just being around players like that. And as it turns out, whether it be Mario Lemieux, Bobby Orr, Gordie Howe, Wayne Gretzky, all tend to be outstanding human beings as well. And that's a beautiful thing about, about hockey and players at that level. So we've been fortunate Absolutely. there. So going back just quickly on your career, which has been varied and successful. You've been in media. You've been uh, in filmmaking. You've been in fashion. You've been in sports. How's it all come together? And what's the inspiration behind this exciting 3v3 concept that you've you founded with Three Eyes? How did you get from uh, those previous spaces in your career to, to be the inspiration of starting 3v3 and Three Ice? Yeah, you know, I like to say it's all been prologue to this point. Um, you know, I'm a Penn State guy with an economics degree. And uh, went up to Boston and learned marketing um, from some really excellent agencies. There were top 10 at the time up in Boston, um, a place called Hill Holiday and another one called Arnold Communications. Right. And really got my classic training on the marketing side. Then a few years after that, I jumped to the other side of the desk and started selling media for Fox Sports Net New England and became a, a salesman. And I really loved that. That was sort of, to me, uh, an interesting way to uh, bring value to um, partners and clients, and it was, a, it was a really fun experience that I enjoyed, and I sort of carried that the rest of my life. That was my can sales interrupt, training. Can I interrupt for one second? Yeah, was it in that? Of was it in that time of life? Is that did you originally meet Steve Baker there uh, with with Fox New England? That's exactly right. So I'm going to the Vancouver NHL All Star Game. I'm in the airport. Bobby Orr, coincidentally, is going on the same flight. Hey, Uncle Bobby, how are you? Hey, Jay. <laughs> then we start talking. Steve Mosey's over. Hey, guys, how you doing? Steve introduces himself to me. We say hello. Uh, we chat while we're in the gate. Uh, he offers to give me a ride from the airport in Vancouver to my hotel, because I think we might have been either at the same hotel or right next door. And uh, Steve is sort of, didn't know it at the time, but kind of interviewing me. He's asking me a lot of questions. He's mm -hmm. probing. He's getting to know me. And I just thought it was a pleasant conversation. And then about uh, two, three weeks later, uh, he gives me a ring and says, listen, I'd like you to come over and uh, meet some of the team over here at Fox Sports. And Steve really sort of rescued me from uh, the advertising world, if you will. <laughs> and between him and another gentleman named John Skirmahorn, uh, they taught me a lot about uh, selling. So that was a, uh, and a very interesting coincidence that had an uh, impact on my life. No question. But from Fox Sports, we, uh, we go down to uh, New York. IMG at the time has just purchased uh, Fashion Week. It was called 7th on 6th at the time. And uh, they're having some economic challenges. But I was there for about three or four years, and we turned it around. It was a really fun job being into a world that um, uh, seemingly is very, very different. And there are a lot of differences, but uh, I think you'll enjoy this. The way I got the job, they asked me to come see the event, and it's runway shows. You have a catwalk with beautiful models and a whole bunch of glitterati and uh, cameras everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so I observed it, checked it out, and then uh, came back for the interview, the follow-up interview. said, what do you think? I said, okay. The runway is the ice. The models are the players, the coaches are the designers, fans are called fashionistas, and the media is the media. I can do this. And goes, all right, you got the job. And so that was it. So hockey, again, sort of played a big role there. 
And uh, we sort of transformed the way we presented it to the marketplace, which really ratcheted up the revenues about 10x, mm-hmm. which was uh, a nice experience. Um, one of my clients, Getty Images, hired me away. And that's where I sort of got to learn the licensing business uh, from their world. And the photography world was very, very interesting, but they're kind of a backdoor into everything. They photograph the Olympics and the NHL and the NFL and you name it, they're there, the number one players on the planet. Ubiquitous. So it's really a great way. Yeah, they're, they're ubiquitous and they're really good at what they do. And they add a lot of almost invisible value. The, the consumer doesn't really know what they do, but the business, the trades really understand what they can bring by mm-hmm. telling stories and pictures. And so that was a really interesting thing to be part of. We built out an entertainment division for those guys. Did that for about three or four years. Um, they bought our competitor and laid off a whole bunch of us, but it was still to this day, the best company I've ever worked for. Got a lot of good friends there. And when I needed a partner on three ice, I called up Carmen Romanelli and he was the guy. He got it immediately said, yes, come on in. We made a deal happen. And, uh, it was just a great place to be. Um, from there we, uh, I went out to Hollywood and started making TV shows. Um, the business model that I sort of put together was a little bit like formula one in the sense that I reached out to all the fashion weeks that I was uh, consulting to mm-hmm. when I was at IMG, bundled their rights up just like formula one and consulted to them to find efficiencies and then got their marketing rights so I could develop content and television shows around them. First thing I came out of the gate with was a show called fashion star and we sold it to NBC made it for a few years here. We made it about another four or five seasons in China, Vietnam, uh, the Middle East, uh, and about 13 or 14 countries there, Germany. And uh, it was a really interesting ride. Uh, being in Hollywood was a, a very, very different world, just like fashion, but a lot of the rules, things translate. And so that was sort of all the background to this, plus my personal uh, passion. Hockey is what I love to do. I still play twice a week. So it's this wonderful corner kind of confection, Mark, of passion, skill sets, upbringing, and that kind of just crystallized in this moment that uh, when I saw three on three hockey for the first time, uh, I was hooked. I wasn't sure what it was going to be, but it was obvious to me that this was something different and it was electric. So that's a long winded answer to how we sort of uh, came up with the idea. Great story. Again, you've had, as we record this, a lot of quality media coverage and an excellent story by Forbes magazine on Three Ice and yourself. And it begins with the NHL problem, which I was flabbergasted by. I was unaware of this. And according to the Sports Business Daily Report, according to the Forbes story, the NHL's television viewer's average age was 33 in the year 2000. And by the year 2016, it was 49. Uh, that's obviously a uh, worrisome trend. Uh, for those in the business. So you were able to, and I, I believe it was in this story, actually pick up some inspiration from your nephews who uh, were, were playing um, uh, video video games or, or what have you, but you're playing in 3v3 mode. And one of the, the biggest things about uh, this Three Eyes project is to kind of break down those barriers to whatever is uh, holding back the young the young fan to uh, thoroughly enjoy hockey and really appeal to them in a uh, in a phone first world. And I say that as a as a parent of a 16 year old son. The difference between my son who's 16 <laughs> and my daughter who is 23 is significant. I mean, they're they're both focused on on, on mobile communication. But she still has some some tethering in the the old school. But for him, it's all about uh, 
it's all about you know the, the mobile phone. He spends ninety five percent of his time consuming media via that route. So can you talk a little bit about I guess that inspiration of seeing your your, your nephews interact and then how that uh, ignited your uh, passion to get this project started and really help um, appeal to the younger fan base. Yeah, you know, um, so I was up in Toronto on business, and uh, I have to credit these two young kids with uh, a couple different things. So one, I was there spending some time with my uh, my cousin, and her kids are great. Uh, she's got two young boys, and they were um, constantly going down to the basement. They've got these two consoles set up where they play each other in hockey, and they're almost always playing three-on-three. And I was curious about that, and I, I said, why? And they just felt like there was more action, more tic-tac-toe passing, and it was more fun. And there were some rules in the gameplay that I thought, wow, that seems like it'd be a great thing to bring to real life, like restarting after a goal at center ice, um, keeping the game moving constantly so the action is going. And so that was sort of the first bit of inspiration from I also took a little inspiration. They sort of talking this vernacular and this lingo, um, you know, shortening things, abbreviating things like epi and seshi and cruci, important. Uh, and hey, boys, hey, boys. And I asked them what they were doing, and they were talking about the on-the-bench guys, which were two really, really interesting guys that I thought were, one, hilarious, and two, got uh, <laughs> hockey in a very, very fun way. And so they turned me on to that. So some of the things that you'll see in 3X, we borrow from video games. And as we know, uh, sports and esports are kind of merging, which is kind of fun. And then, two, some of the marketing opportunities that we're going to be developing and unrolling here very soon, you'll see will involve the, uh, the on-the-bench guys here quickly. But uh, listen, Mark, I feel your pain. I babysat last night, and uh, here I am with uh, a 12-year-old and a 13-year-old trying to sort of get them to play Scrabble, and they just got <laughs> lost in their phones. And I said, all right, let's stop it halfway through. Um, I think I was beating them by 100 points anyway, but it's still like, okay, mm -hmm. you know, you just can't compete with it. So we are a phone-first, uh, fan-first model. We believe that that kind of environment, that digital environment, is where our brand should live first. Mm -hmm. and how we want to be shared, viewed, consumed, discussed. Uh, it's, a, it's a strategy that we're implementing that we think is going to be um, paying a lot of dividends for us moving forward. Absolutely, and much needed. I was recently, in my work the Boston Bruins alumni, I sometimes go to our uh, alumni suite and, and watch Bruins games, and recently, it was about a month ago, Bruins versus Chicago game went to overtime, 3v3, and uh, of course the Bruins have uh, have Pasternak and some, some good skill guys. Chicago ended up winning the game, but I've got to tell you, even though you watch it on, on TV and everything, it, it just kind of reinforced the, the beauty of the 3v3 because I guess if it had two words to describe your pending league, I would say pure skill and to be able to be out there in a 3v3 environment and utilize your skills having the time and space to do some real creative things and uh, you know, the opportunity to get out there without uh, dumping and chasing and clutching and grab whatever you know it, it just uh, it, it's, it's very very exciting it's it's the, I think you've described it as the best part of hockey so this uh, yeah. concept is uh, is exciting to fans because now they had a chance to see a good portion of it live and on television, and now this will now be the, the main attraction. Yeah, you know, I think you nailed it on the head. It is about the creativity, the hockey IQ, 
the taking risks. You know, you get these really creative players. I mean, the, the goal that Philip Forsberg scored the other night with the sort of Michigan wraparound move, but mm-hmm. kind of did a variation on it. That kind of creativity is what we think the big open space will inspire. And look, I love the five-on-five hockey. I love the hitting, the grinding. It, to me, it's a beautiful part of the game. But there's other aspects that could be accentuated, and the three-on-three does that. Speed, the hands, the tic-tac-toe passing. And, you know, the the thing I like to talk about is there's a lot of guys in the NHL that are excellent third- and fourth-line guys. They're getting 10, 11, 12 minutes per game, but they're the first guys over the boards in that three-on-three format because they are that water bug type of player. And so there's no dumping and chasing. There's no going into the corner and going and getting it. It is all about man-on-man creativity and speed. And I think you nailed it. That's what we're going to do on a full-time basis. Uh, and we think it's going to be absolutely electric. We think it's going to translate really well um, on the digital side of the equation. But as you know, hockey in person is so much better live. And if you can make this game a completely unique thing and as exciting as we think it's going to be, we think our live experience will be absolutely a home run. No question. My interest I could say passion, but I'll say interest in in 3v3 hockey really jumped quite a bit a few years ago. I was uh, working with former U.S. Olympian uh, David A. Jensen, a good friend of mine, and we managed a, a 3v3 league here in Massachusetts. Uh, it was after the season, it started, started in the spring. And just to be able to see those kids uh, have a chance to really show their skills, a lot of touches. That's a beautiful thing on the youth level is kids get a, a lot of touches uh, in, in that mm-hmm. environment and they, they loved it. Yep. It's so much different than their, what they normally uh, go to in, in a normal team situation. But also when I, when I heard about your league originally from Steve Baker, that was one of the first things I thought of is you talked about the NHL players who uh, are third or fourth liners who get out there for overtime, et cetera. But I also think of guys who... You know, maybe play three v three hockey aren't necessary geared towards a physical game. Uh, maybe a little bit undersized, as you said, but loaded with skill. And maybe you're playing your your youth kid who's playing three v three hockey. All of a sudden, you see this league. I think it's pretty inspirational that now they'll have an opportunity to you know perhaps show that skill. So if you're good enough to play in the ECHL or the AHL, and I don't know all the details of uh, your on ice hockey model. I guess that's more Craig Patrick's end of it, but. Um, I know you're going to have high-quality players. It's not going to be a, a retirement league. You're going to have young, uh, uh, young, uh, talented, talented players. So that's a very long-winded way of saying. I think this league could be a, a real good inspiration for kids who play the game as well. We agree. We agree. We think it's a another version of hockey. It's more hockey, and it's going to be more opportunities for everyone. But to your point, yeah, our guy, you know, as you know, an average career in the pros is about three to three and a half years. So if you just do the simple math, if you come out, you're 21, 22, you're a rookie, you play your three, four, five years, you're 26, 27, you can still fly, you can still motor, but the five-on-five game just isn't where you excel anymore. That's our guy. He's played 100 to 300 games in the NHL. I like to point to the, the Connor Sheary example, which I've done in a few of our, our interviews. Mm-hmm. And he's that guy that is going to have a – he's probably going to have a 10-year career because he's that good. But that guy, his body shape, his size, his skill set, after 26, 27, 28, maybe the NHL is not calling anymore. He's taking a look at Europe or retiring. 
he still has all the speed, all the skill, all the creativity, but the format just isn't there for him. There's just not enough three on three. There's only five minutes or less if you don't play the entire uh, overtime. We're going to give that, that player 16 minutes per game, and if they can advance each night in our rounds, they could play three games a night. Uh, our format has seven games per tour stop, and we can get into that a little bit later. But the idea that we can have these high-quality players, ex-NHLers, uh, coming into the league and extending their careers, these aren't graybeards. These are guys that are still electric, and if they could play three-on-three three in the NHL all the time, they would. Right. We're just going to give them that opportunity. Exactly. There's so many players who fall into that category, the kind of tweeners. They just, you know, again, it, it, hockey is, is about roles, as you know. So you have your, your, your scoring line, you have your grinders, you have your checkers, penalty kills, et cetera. Some guys kind of fall between the cracks, but they have that uh, wonderful skill level that now in this league, those type of players will be able to exhibit. It also reminds me, too, a little bit, as I talk to... For example, yesterday I was talking to uh, Kurt Ridley, who formerly played goaltender, formerly a goaltender for the Vancouver Canucks, and I asked him about the differences in hockey between his era and today, and he said, uh, well, the biggest thing is the size of the players, and it reminded me of some comments Bobby Orr made a, a year or two ago. It, basically, the players are getting bigger, they're getting faster, but the ice surface remains the same. Uh, mm -hmm. So in the in the five on five, and that has a lot of repercussions. As you said, I love hockey now. I love the five on five. This is not a criticism of that, but the reality is, is that the game has never seen more skilled players. But the time and space in which to exhibit those skills is reduced all the time. The players are bigger, faster. They get on you in a, in a hurry, and you still see the great skill, the Crosby's, McDavid's, etc. I'm not even, but a lot of that is you know power play, overtime, what have you. But that's, and again, one of these, just be able to see the guys out there in, in an open sheet. And also, I guess you've not maybe locked this down from a hockey operations standpoint, but um, is your anticipation this league may be uh, non-hitting? Yeah, you know, you're probably not going to miss it. If you have, uh, if you watch a game now, uh, the overtime format, there's very, very little hitting. We like to say, you know, uh, we borrow from NASCAR, rubbing is racing, mm -hmm. but uh, there's not a lot of real big collisions. The guys are going at it a little bit shoulder to shoulder, but there's not any real big hits. So for us, strategically, we think, you know, hitting is not an important thing to focus on for us. It's just about the skill and the passing and the creativity and the chance taking, by the way, which we love because uh, as you saw in that Winnipeg uh, Toronto game about a week or two ago, just the electric back and forth, two on O's and goalies making oh, saves yeah. <laughs> and one on O's. And it was just, it was wonderful. And so we love that volatility, I think is the word, that dynamicism that is just so incredible for this format. So for us, we think that it lends itself to it and you really won't miss the hitting. It is about the, uh, the skill and the, and the dangles and the deeks and the passing and the fakes. And so for us, we, we don't think it's going to be an issue at all because uh, there's such little of it anyway. So again, rubbing is racing. If the guys are doing incidental contact, uh, that's fantastic, but hitting is certainly not a focus for us. Right. And I think going back to that whole time and space issue and size issue too, from a player safety standpoint, I know it's a secondary, you know, consideration as far as the overall league is concerned. It's almost implicit in the league that it's going to be a little bit safer. But I, again, I go back to youth uh, hockey in three v three. There, that's again one of the look. It's one of the things that it's uncomfortable sometimes to talk about in both hockey and football and soccer and any regards the uh, the head injury and head trauma issues that are out there. Uh, you will not have that issue in in uh, in 
in your league. So um, I I kind of fumbled over that question, but my point is, for, from a parent's standpoint, a safety standpoint, 3v3 hockey also has that appeal as well. Yeah, the less contact is certainly nice. And, and because of the increased action, uh, you just don't miss it. Um, but, you know, I'm thinking my mind is going back to a Sports Illustrated article uh, about the incredible shrinking court in the 80s. And it was a fold-out of Bird, Parrish, and McHale standing on this miniature parquet floor. And they were sort of looking ominous. And, uh, you know, the game evolved in basketball. They started playing above the rim. Uh, is what they used to say as the game evolved, the court, quote-unquote, shrank. And as the ice shrinks, uh, the opportunity to express yourself fully from a creative standpoint becomes, you know, less and less, theoretically, every year as the players increase. So by us creating this format for it, we sort of reverse that trend. And uh, that's what we're excited about, and I think the fans are going to love it. Uh, you know, when you go to a game now, and it's sort of the last two, three, four minutes, and it's tied, you start getting excited about overtime. Yes. You start to feel, hey, maybe we're going to get some bonus hockey here. Yeah. And you get it, and the fans, a lot of times they don't sit for the entire time. I know when I go to games in Pittsburgh, they don't sit in overtime. It is an incredible environment. So it's not even edge of the seat. They're just all up on their feet. Um, so, yeah, we, we think the, the wide open sheet is going to be a game changer, and uh, the fans should absolutely love it. Well, a lot of people agree with you right off the bat. This has not been a overly difficult sell for you in its conception. You know, you've had CBS, TSN, Yahoo, among others who've, who've bought in early. Tell me a little bit about that process because, again, that's a that's in a, in a league that's going to have a lot of emphasis on sponsorships. Uh, getting these media partnerships uh, wrapped up early, obviously, is a huge accomplishment. Talk a little bit about that process. Yeah, you know, it was funny. It was my fashion star hat, my Hollywood hat was really instrumental there because I could speak the language of network executives and knew we had to build a format, as we say in TV, uh, an episode rundown, as we might say in reality TV, that worked really well. And at the end of the day, sports is the ultimate reality TV. We knew we had a really good format developed. And so when we went in to see CBS, there's a gentleman over there by the name of Greg Traeger who got it right away. He became our champion. He saw the value. He knew we had something special. Mm -hmm. So really after uh, the discussions from a conceptual standpoint, it was a yes quick. And then we moved into obviously the, the contractual discussions, which take however long they take. Same thing with TSN and RDS. We got those uh, folks to say yes so quickly because they immediately saw the value. We knew we had validation. We knew we had a partner that was going to carry our message across the entire continent. And we were really excited. It was validation for us. Um, we did that, you know, almost a year ago. Uh, but all three of those networks got it immediately. We're really grateful that they saw the value and we can't wait to be in partnership with them. And uh, we're going to tell our story uh, through their channels, digital, linear, uh, social. Uh, they're going to be great partners for us. And we're going to bring as much hockey as possible to our fans. We have a phrase internally that we like to say we're creating the biggest locker room in the world. We want to invite <laughs> fans into it and give them that access from the content standpoint. We want them actually influencing uh, the on-ice action. And I'll give you some examples of that, but also helping us shape some of the business as well. From the standpoint of one of the first things we're going to do is ask fans to help us pick our cities. From an on-ice experience standpoint, what should be the second round matchups? Does the winner of the first round team A play team D? Do they play team C or team B? We let the fans help us decide that. If there's an injury uh, on the uh, uh, one of the goalies, which one of our two dressed goalies who are substituting goes in next? Let's the fans hop on the app and tell us. Um, from a 
broadcast standpoint, we want to splice into our feed. If someone's sitting right behind the goal along the glass, I sat there about a month and a half ago with my girlfriend at the Rangers game, Mm -hmm. and we got an unbelievable angle at every single goal. If someone's filming that, we can take that feed, stick it into our replay package, and credit Sally Smith in row number one right behind the goal brought us this clip. So having them be part of that equation as well. So we want them to be part of the biggest locker room in the world. So yeah, we, we think it's going to be electric. I want to, in a moment, go through the the tour and your, your vision for it. But I had a couple questions preceding that. Uh, number sure. one is, as I've thought in the past, and I've had thoughts about starting or being part of various hockey leagues on the professional mm-hmm. level, um, the one thing you take advantage of in the June, July, August is, is efficiencies. You have a lot of availability. And for those uh, facilities who still have sheets down, you have uh, a lot more availability, of course, and you're not competing directly with your product. You have enough hardcore fans that will follow uh, you know, 12 months a year. But you, you talked about fans helping out in, in choosing cities. I'm going to advocate for Boston and Hartford, Connecticut, by the way. And sure, okay. <laughs> um, we'll advocate for the hosts as well. But um, what is your vision for the types of cities that you're looking for? NHL, AHL, combination? What, what, what's, what are you looking at? Yeah, what we like to say is we're going to have a nice mix of NHL buildings, AHL buildings, and we're calling hockey-hungry markets. And those are markets that have really demonstrated an appetite for sort of big league product or have shown that they just show out so well. Places like Halifax or Quebec City where they don't have any sort of quote-unquote big league product, if you will, right. but they're just such great hockey towns. Hartford too. Um, so we, uh, Hartford's <laughs> in the mix, absolutely. So New England is an absolutely important market for us. Uh, obviously, Eastern Canada, uh, the Midwest, Midwest Canada. Uh, we're taking a look at about 20-plus markets right now with our partner, ASM Global, uh, another group that we're really flattered by that immediately got what we were doing. They own and operate many of the leagues, or excuse me, many of the buildings that um, basketball and NHL teams play in, uh, both here and uh, abroad. So they get it. They're experts in this world, and they're going to help us pick uh, our marketplace. And it's a combination of some science, a little bit of alchemy, and a little bit of the fans um, chiming in. So we're going to have this very complex formula that we're going through, but we do want the fans to help be a, a tiebreaker in some places. If we get an overwhelming response, making it up for Winnipeg. Okay, let's take a look at Winnipeg. We may have to go there if we've got you know 50,000 people that tweeted us in a month that we need to come to Winnipeg. Um, so it's a nice mix of NHL, AHL, and hockey-hungry markets that we're looking at. Perfect. So the teams are centrally managed, I'm assuming. So um, they're going to be ind- they're going to be independent, but yet under the umbrella of the league, and you'll have coaches for each. Have you given some thought to how that's all going to take place? Or maybe getting ahead of the game, and I know that's more of again the hockey operations end of it. But how these teams will be selected, how they'll be populated, uh, you'll have a draft and all of those things. But it, I, I'm assuming that the, that all will be under the league's control. However, rather than having individual owners. That's right. So we're top-down ownership. And yes, uh, to answer your question, we've thought through every facet of this. You know, when I started this about three or four years ago and and was shopping with media friends, friends that worked at professional sports leagues, hockey guys, coaches, marketing folks, we made sure that we poked holes in this thing uh, along the way. And then when I brought my C-suite on board, we did the same thing before we really all decided that we're going to push forward hard with this. 
Um, so we've thought through every single aspect of it. So you're right. The teams will be centrally owned, top down, and we have a touring model. So like the PGA Tour or Formula One or NASCAR, we're going to be going from city to city. So all of our um, whole traveling unit, if you will, the whole of three ice comes in uh, either Thursday, Friday, and then our players come in. We have a uh, morning skate on Saturday for them. Maybe they take their afternoon nap, as you know, is a tradition in hockey. We drop the puck that night and we fly them home on Sunday. And then we rinse and repeat every week. And our format will be all eight of our teams will be coming to every single city. In the first round, all eight of those teams will play in four games. The four winners of those games will advance to play in two semifinal games. And those two winners will advance to play in the single championship game for that night. So you have the first round four games, two games next, one game. Seven games per night. Each game is 16 minutes. That's 112 minutes of hockey over about a three-hour uh, broadcast and experience for the fans. And uh, we've got a nice point system as well. We're sort of borrowing from uh, the Formula One model where – if you win in the first round, you get one point. If you win the second round, two. If you win that night, three points. You could pick up six points total. What we like about that is, just like in Formula One, if someone blows a tire and doesn't finish, they get zero points. Mm -hmm. And if someone wins, they get a huge chunk of points. So the volatility in the standings for someone to be able to jump way up or fall way down each week will be, I think, something very, very interesting for the fans to follow. And then, of course, the top four teams will make our championship, which will be our ninth week, our playoffs slash championship. Prior to that, we're going to have a, uh, a draft. Um, a few months before we drop puck in June 2021, uh, we will have a full draft where we basically simulate four different tour stops in two days. Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, and then our draft. And our coaches will sort of just get in a war room and we'll just snake through the talent, one through eight, eight through one, one through eight, as we build our teams. You know, and when new leagues start, it's always good to have some recognizable players. So I'm, I'm hoping some bigger names uh, are able to jump on board right away. Which reminds me, with no city affiliations to these teams, as you said, you have a tour model. Those relationships that you have that you're developing uh, with television, interactively with TikTok, and I can't tell you that I've spent a minute on TikTok, <laughs> but my, I know my son has. But um, sure. th that becomes a critically important element in your branding. Uh, again, you're not tethered to a specific city, so to, to reaching out and building the brands of those individual players, I, I assume is going to be a big part of your marketing effort. That's right. So as the advent of fantasy sports and sports gaming is really made Fans become fans of individuals. You know, I love my Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm a Pittsburgh guy. I grew up there. But I love seeing Stamkos or Kaner or McDavid or any other player that's, to me, worth the price of admission. I follow them. I root for them. I hope they do well. I check their stats. So that's become a phenomenon in the last decade or two, and we think that trend is going to continue strongly. And then next, we think we have a very, very interesting model from a sponsorship standpoint. We're excited about this on the business side. We think we're bringing something unique to the marketplace, at least in North America. We're going to borrow a little bit from the Formula One model, where our teams, instead of being Team Ferrari or Team McLaren or Team Rocket, are going to be Team, let's say, Samsung or Team Ford or Team Toyota. None of those partners have signed on yet, but that's our model. And those brands will get the colorway of the uniform will be in their color style. Logo on the chest, we'll call them Team Samsung. Space in the uh, dashboards, in-ice signage. They'll be baked into our broadcasts from both a 30-second uh, ad units as well as 
sponsorship. Tonight's starting lineups brought to you by fill in the blank. Let's look at the team Samsung lineup. What a great goal by Samsung. Who's the leading scorer on team Samsung? Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of thing that we're going to bring from a, uh, a marketing standpoint that we think is incredibly unique. So borrowing a little bit from European soccer, a little bit from Formula One, and bringing that over here. You talk about that international flavor, and while the league appears to be starting in North America, as you un, un, unleash it uh, onto the North American audience, you've also, in your own personal career, have a lot of international experience in China and Europe, etc. So perhaps I'm getting way ahead of the game, but perhaps this will have an in, uh, a real international feel to it as it progresses. Yeah, without question. So we would love to have international players. Our only caveat is that we want them living in North America, at least during the season. We don't want to have someone flying in from Stockholm or Helsinki or Moscow. You can imagine they'll be a little bit tired uh, doing that trip uh, on a, as a commute. But we also see some brand extensions for this business. It's an absolute no-brainer for us to extend into Europe. So Three Ice Europe is a very easy extension. But we see other things like maybe Three Ice Asia, maybe Three Ice Women's, Three Ice Junior, which could feel a little bit like uh, the Little League World Series of Baseball, mm -hmm. we take a little bit of that model and bring it to uh, the junior side of the equation. Uh, so there's a lot of extensions on both the analog side, but also on the digital side. We see a tremendous amount of content that we're producing. Again, we'll put on our Hollywood hat, all of our brands, and, and we'll treat ourselves like our own sponsor. We're going to have access for everybody inside the locker room, different camera angles, personal stories, uh, having our players tweet out uh, in a cohesive way, something that makes sense for the, to share with the fans across our entire player and coaches network. So we think we've got uh, some really interesting extensions, and Europe is a, is a big part of that at some point soon. No question. The whole 3v3 concept, as I've said, is... Very intriguing, very exciting. I'm, I'm bullish on it, and I think if you you could actually that that three ice could three ice brand could be the brand of three v three hockey. Think of three v three. Think of three ice at all levels, youth, etc. And you did mention the women, and of course that'll be highlighted during this year's All Star Weekend. And I, I love that, and I, hopefully they'll they'll be part of this too. And I I wanted to uh, before we left, I wanted to talk a little bit about a, a couple of key players on your team. Actually, we've talked about Steve Baker, but talk a little bit about how you approached Craig Patrick and, of course, the Patrick family. You've got the bloodlines of the history of the National Hockey League with Craig Patrick and international. Too many accomplishments to note here, but how did you end up uh, conversing with Craig about this and his enthusiasm to jump on as commissioner of the league? Yeah, you know, the commissioner is an important role. It's a natural thing that you have to have in managing uh, player relationships, coaches, hockey personnel, hockey operations, uh, but also adjudicating certain things as well. So we needed somebody that was uh, knowledgeable, had um, the credibility, and then, um, of course, it's a, a bonus that he has the absolute legendary status. I mean, the way that came about is my father and Craig are good friends. They've been friends for a long time. Uh, I've known Craig for a long time, met him when I was in junior high or in high school, and uh just really respected him. And uh, he was always fantastic as a GM, always fantastic as my father's boss. Uh, and they got along really well. And so when the time came, I sat down with my father and I said, dad, here's my first choice. It's Craig. Do you think he would do it? He said, I think he would. Uh, let's give him a call and see what he says. And he flattered me. He got it right away on one phone call. We talked about it for about <laughs> an hour. He asked me all the right questions. He poked holes in it. He did all his due diligence, if you will, in that phone call. He said, I love it. Uh, I'm in EJ and uh, we went about, you know, finalizing his contract, but 
conceptually, he was in right away. It was a very, very important moment for us. Uh, it felt like, you know, getting those TV contracts, it was a big moment of validation. And uh, it's nice that he's um, also having this tremendous moment of the 40th anniversary of the uh, Miracle on Ice. And so for us, uh, that brings some extra attention to Craig and what a wonderful moment for hockey, American hockey, and uh, for Craig. And so he's going to be celebrating that uh, uh, most of this uh, calendar year, I think. Absolutely. Now, earlier we referenced Steve Baker, former New York Rangers goaltender and star at Union College, Massachusetts native. And how do you see, is he focused more on um, sales or where do you have him slotted for his role in three ice? Yeah, well, Steve's an expert salesman. And so that's one of the hats he wears. <clears throat> he also brings to the table um, chief hockey operations. So he's got a lot of things like the rules and speaking with our coaches, helping us recruit those guys on board. Uh, and we've got several of them already committed. It's uh, still a secret today, but he's been instrumental on the hockey side of this as well. Um, so between his skill set on the sales side for sponsorships and for uh, speaking to the, the industry, uh, Steve's an excellent player on our team. EJ, what's the uh, what's next on the horizon? This has been, a, a, as I said to you in our, our pre-call uh, conversation, we've had, uh, even on my website, a, a ton of hits on Steve Baker's page on the uh, on the podcast. Uh, as you made your announcement, a ton of great coverage, the ESPN, Forbes magazine, I mentioned TSN, etc. So uh, what's uh, among, you've got about 100 different things to accomplish here, but what's the uh, immediate priority over uh, the next few months? Yeah, you know, the, the media has been great. It's been uh, tremendous validation. We, we now know that the marketplace is going to respond to us favorably. Uh, the fans, the chatter on social media has been great. But articles on Forbes and ESPN and Yahoo have been really fantastic to see. So uh, continue to build our brand. You know, we sort of, quote unquote, seemingly came out of nowhere, I think one of the articles said. But we've been working on this for two plus years before uh, last week's announcement. Mm -hmm. uh, but we'll continue to build the brand. Uh, we'll continue to bring on coaches and we'll continue to lock down our cities. And then from there, uh, it's all about uh, creating the fan experience. Um, for us, the digital side comes first, and then making sure that we execute to bring that three, three and a half hour evening in every city that we go to be absolutely electric. So that's our focus. A um, lot goes into that, uh, the right people in the right spots. Um, but we've got uh, about 18 months of runway here, so we've got plenty of time. Well, I'm slightly envious. You've achieved my lifetime dream of starting your own professional <laughs> hockey league. You surround yourself with some great people. The concept's fantastic. You're extremely well-spoken, obviously. Uh, your your experience in all areas is going to be vital here to the success of Three Ice. The concept is fantastic. I'm not just blowing smoke. I love it at all levels, and I think you've got a winner here. So we'll keep a close eye on that for the fans listening. In our show notes, we'll have all the appropriate links, and there are many of them, to Three Ice and the numerous... Um, uh, social media outlets, including TikTok, which I bet you many have not been on yet. But nonetheless, great job. I really appreciate it talking to EJ, and I will keep a close eye on Three Ice and look forward to uh, having the opportunity to speak to you again. Thank you, Mark. Really appreciate doing this today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the voice of hockey legends. If you enjoy listening to the show, please consider subscribing rating, and reviewing the show on iTunes. This helps make our podcast more visible and accessible to hockey fans around the world. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, please contact me at prohockeyalumni.org or 
via social media at Pro Hockey Alumni. The Pro Hockey Alumni greatly appreciates your support.